and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 111. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope your march is going swimmingly. If you're listening to this uh, episode when the show drops, you're hearing it on, uh, I don't know, March... When are you hearing this? March 11th, I think? Um, yes, that would be right. So it is still eh, six days before St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, happy early St. Patrick's Day to you. For those of you who are already celebrating St. Patty's Day, as someone pointed out to me on Facebook this morning, it's if you want to shorten the name, it's actually St. Patty's Day with D's, not St. Patty's Day with T's. Um, so, you know, happy St. Paddy's Day to you Irish folks. And for the rest of you who just want an excuse to get drunk, do you really need an excuse? Anyway, what's new in the world, guys? Let's do a Mad Mike Hughes update. What do you say? So I'm looking at Mad Mike's Facebook page. The first thing I notice is that his banner thing at the top of the screen appears to have changed. It now says, The Chronicles of Mad Mike Hughes. Quote, One man. And then there's this little cartoon drawing of a rocket ship. And a logo for Noise, N-O-I-Z-E, TV. I'm guessing that whenever they do record and air the launch, if it ever happens, that is what they're going to call the uh, the show. The TV event. The, the internet TV event. The Chronicles of Mad Mike Hughes. One man. Let's see. Has Mad Mike posted anything lately? Um, oh, wait. Maybe they have a date, and they're actually announcing it early. So on March 1st, oh, actually, oh, he's been busy on Facebook. On February 28th, he posted a picture of the new parts that he needed, if you remember. Uh, first of all, Mad Mike, for those of you, uh, quickly to bring you up to speed. Mad Mike is a limo driver in California who is also an amateur rocket builder, and he has it in his head that he's going to launch himself into the atmosphere uh, and take photos of the Earth to prove, once and for all, that the Earth is flat. Because scientists and the media have been lying to us forever. He's had some delays. He's been trying to do this since November. He's had some uh, mechanical delays. He's gotten hooked up now with Noise TV, and they're going to air this thing on the Internet whenever it happens. It's been scheduled and rescheduled at least a couple of times. Uh, but the new parts that he needed apparently arrived uh, February 28th. On March 1st, he posted something that said, Make sure to catch all the updates for launch coming up next week. Tune into Noise TV and find out more. Uh, and there's apparently a button on the Noise TV app to uh, get all the latest updates. Then we have a picture of Mad Mike with Noise TV artist Shane Gufog. Well, it's a Noise TV interview oh, okay, of Shane Gufog, who is an artist and a friend of Mad Mike. Then Mad Mike posted also on March 1st that the launch will be early next week, uh, which would be this coming week, I guess. And then it appears that they have a scheduled time, March 6th at 9 a.m. Pacific Central T- uh, Pacific Standard Time. All right. He's referring to this as his world record-breaking event. All right, March 6th. That means, well, this episode is coming out March 11th, as we already covered, because of how you know time and space works. Uh, I don't know right now if he was successful or not, because as I record this, spoiler, it's not March 6th. So you may, boy, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess if I learn on March 6th that he has proved the Earth is flat, I might have to uh, post something on my social media 
to uh, to let you all know not to uh, make any summer plans for any long road trips lest you fall off of the earth. And then, of course, I will cover this on the next episode, which will be uh, a week after after the next one, after this one. That's how weeks work. All right, that is very, very exciting. Here, I'm putting something on my calendar right now. Uh, let's see. Calendar, March 6th, Mad Mike Hughes gets eaten by a dragon at the edge of the earth. Alright. If any of you happen to find out about Mad Mike before I post anything on social media, give a shout out to me so that we can bask in the joy of this great new scientific discovery together. Alright, what else is going on? Oh, here's a question I keep meaning to ask, and I thought I would just throw it out there today. Even though I'm an Atari podcaster, I don't spend a, a lot of time, probably don't spend as much time as I should, on the various Atari forums. And there are a lot of them, I've learned. Uh, and they're all good, I, I have no problem with them. Just I have a lot of interests, uh, including Atari, and, you know, like everybody else, not a lot of time. Jobs and family and... Other things that I'm working on, so I don't spend enough time on the Atari forums, as probably I should. But I, I check them out a little bit. I listen to some you know, retro gaming podcasts. One thing I've noticed is it seems like there ain't no girls around here. It feels like, uh, and I'm one too, it feels like lots and lots of white guys, primarily middle-aged white guys, some younger ones. Are there any women retro gaming podcasters? Not necessarily just Atari, but, you know, any sort of, of the classic games, you know, Sega, arcade games, um, Nintendo, you know, whatever. Because I sure don't see any out there on the forums, a little bit that I've looked, or on these podcasts that I listen to or have heard about. I'm just curious. I'm not, you know, condemning anything or anything. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, if I have any women in my audience, give me a shout out uh, and let me know why you think, if I'm right that there are a limited number of women. Certainly, I, I, I'm sure there are, are women who are a fan of retro games. I, I have no doubt about that. I just They don't seem to be represented in these more visible places. I mean, maybe let me know, you know if you are a woman who's into these old games, first of all, what you like about the old games, and maybe, if I'm right, that there, there aren't so many women, why that might be. What else happened this week? Oh, we heard a little bit more about the Atari box. I haven't been following this... Atari box thing probably as closely as I should, like everything else, like I said, with Atari. Even though I do an Atari podcast, I don't necessarily pay as much attention to this stuff as maybe I should. But it looked like we got some new details about the Atari box this week. Two weeks ago for you, I guess. So you may be tired of hearing about this already. I read an article... Actually, you know what? Strike that. I just happened to notice the date on this article. And it's actually from July. This isn't new at all. I have seen some grumbling on social media, though, that you guys are either tired of waiting for the Atari box, bored with the whole concept of the Atari box, or super skeptical that the Atari box is anything to get excited about, uh, or some combination thereof. It sounds to me like an interesting idea, uh, although, honestly, well, two things. One, I don't think I'll go get one if it ever does come out, because... It's not a classic console. I like he the fact that I do this show with the same Atari console that I used as a kid. Um, 
I even used, for the most part, the same controllers that I used as a kid. Oh, that reminds me. Side note. Today's game, which we'll get to here in a minute, uses the paddle controllers. And as I've mentioned many times, my paddle controllers are old and don't work so well uh, and make a disturbing clicking noise. One of you great listeners out there had reached out to me one time when I was grumbling about this and said that you would be happy to take a shot at cleaning them up for me. And I was all set to send them to you, but then life happened. uh, And I kept putting off, uh, putting them in the mail. And then honestly, I totally forgot who it was that said that you would do that for me. Um, So if you're out there and you're still uh, interested in doing that, will you remind me again in an email or social media or something that I messed up and didn't send them to you before? Uh, Because I will happily do that now. So the point was, I still use the same old equipment, and when this equipment dies, as surely it will eventually, because all things do. Um, that's my happy note for the day. <laughs> all things die. I will probably just find more classic equipment, classic hardware, because I like that aspect of it. The other thought I have about the Atari box is, I don't know that it's new looking or, or um, does enough new stuff to attract you know, those darn millennials to play Atari. I I just don't know. I am also curious, because I haven't been able to tell. I know it's got all the USB ports and blah, blah, blah. uh, Or will, if it ever comes out. Can you also play the cartridges on there, I guess is my question. Because that's another reason I wouldn't necessarily grab one. I like playing the games on the cartridges. Uh, I don't really play the ROMs. Probably should. Certainly be cheaper. But I like, it's part of that, you know, classic feel. I like holding the cartridge and, this is going to sound bad, and sticking it in the thing. So, yeah, the Atari box, I guess I'm in that camp of, it just doesn't excite me a whole lot. And I'm worried that it's not going to excite new, potentially new comers to the Atari world enough to actually make a difference. There. So I didn't really have anything new, to, new details to tell you about the Atari box, but I probably haven't talked a whole lot about it in the past, so I just did so. Uh, For those of you who were dying to know what the Atari Bytes guy thought of the Atari box. What else? Ah, speaking of old things coming back again, Atari, I saw this article, and this one I believe was a new article, Atari is sort of bringing back Night Driver, a game that I think sort of gets mixed reviews from people. I like it. Um, I think it's kind of cool looking. It's kind of fun to play. My kid went through a stretch where he really liked it for a while, and then, as young kids do, he moved on to other stuff pretty quickly. This article is from, well, it just says Monday, but I believe that was this week, or last week for you, if you're listening to this uh, when the show comes out. 1976 uh, Atari original Night Driver is an outstanding example, according to this article, of doing more with less, simulating first-person driving through nothing more than a series of scrolling rectangles. The new Night Driver coming soon to Android and iOS looks like any other mobile racing game, which they say there's nothing wrong with that, except pointing out that modern racing games look way cooler than the pretty simple-looking Night Driver. Oh, okay, because the point is, the modernized iOS and uh, Android Night Driver is a way different-looking game than the original Night Driver. So this article takes the view that really you shouldn't even call it Night Driver. It offers a range of different slick and powerful vehicles that players can race down the illuminated highway. You can upgrade and enhance your car's look, performance, and style. And the game features breathtaking locations, a 360-degree showroom, and multiple game modes. 
One of the comments to the article was, don't rely on Atari to do anything right. Seriously, they could draft the Patriots in Pee Wee football and still lose the game. So th the contention here seems to be that they're mad at Atari for upgrading the game. And that, I guess that kind of relates to the Atari box thing too, right? There, there's this weird dichotomy, this weird split, I think, in the retro gaming world. There's one camp that gets mad at Atari for modernizing its games and hardware. There's another camp that gets mad at them for not modernizing their games and hardware. So I kind of feel bad in a way for Atari, such as Atari exists in the modern era. Because no matter what they do, it's like any beloved fan thing. It happens with Doctor Who, you know, my beloved Doctor Who. It happens with the X-Files. It happens with movies, you know, other gaming systems. No matter what the purveyors of the pop culture does, lots and lots of people are going to be mad. Lots and lots of people are going to love it. Lots and lots of people are going to be mad. So, I don't have any interest in downloading this uh, a new Night Driver. The old Night Driver is just fine for me, but I also have no real problem with it. What else? X-Files Season 11. As I'm recording this, there are three episodes left. As you're hearing it, there's only two episodes left. I'm digging this season. I, I'm really getting into the, the vibe that they're putting out that Mulder and Scully are in a different place now, 25 years after the original X-Files uh, you know, first aired. The world is different. They still have things to do, but their place in the world is different. They're, I may have said that already. They're, um, especially Mulder, is kind of a relic of a different era of conspiracy and, and uh, alien hunting and all this stuff, which is, uh, has taken on a whole new life uh, in, in a whole new way now with the internet and you know current political climate. So I'm liking it. There have been some real gems, I think episodes that are actually going to become classic, um, iconic episodes for the series. And there have been, as always, with any TV show, there have been a few episodes that maybe weren't so great. I kind of wish they were going to do more. I don't think they will, at least not in the current form. Jillian Anderson has made it pretty clear. She hasn't come. She isn't coming back, and I, I don't think it's really a money thing. Uh, Duchovny's kind of said he might be up for doing more, but without Scully, I just don't know if that's a good idea. I have a feeling Fox and the creator of the show, Chris Carter, have both kind of hinted that they really want to do more because they see... I'm sure they see money here. I'll watch with a skeptical eye any new sort of X-Files type series without Mulder and Scully. Uh, if you guys have X-Files thoughts, let me know. What else? Oh, it's March now. Several of you picked up my book in the St. Nick of Time over the Christmas holidays when I was boring you with my self-promotion over the book. Thank you for doing that. Now I have a favor to ask. Um, if you did read my book, or if or if you have, you've presumably finished it by now. If not, that's okay. That's cool. Read it whenever you want. Um, if you haven't picked it up yet, uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or pretty much wherever you want to order your books. Uh, in print or ebook. But when you do finish it, or if you have finished it already, please go leave a review. Certainly you can send me your comments about it. I, that's, I'm happy to read those. But I also need you to go to like Amazon or Goodreads or you know wherever you bought the book and leave a review there because it helps other people who are shopping for books see what you know that people have read my book and enjoyed it it helps with the rankings it helps with other people shopping it just it, it helps me 
frankly, sell more books. So please do that if you haven't already. Thank you. Alright, well let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is Encounter at L5 from Data Age, 1982. It's a pretty straightforward game, not, not a whole lot of instructions. It's pretty much a pick it up and start playing it game. We get a little bit of a premise. Beyond the orbit of the moon, a defenseless space colony is under heavy attack from the ruthless Megalites. You are their only hope. Armed with packets of antimatter. Hold on. First of all, why would you set up a space colony and not defend it? Secondly, uh, you know who these people are, or these creatures are, or whatever. The Megalites. How are you the only hope? Is the military not prepared for this? I don't know. I have many questions. Anyway, uh, armed with packets of antimatter, you take control of an antimatter launcher, which is convenient, I guess. You've got all this antimatter. Uh, suddenly the sky is ablaze with megalite warships. You must destroy them before their formidable particle beams destroy you and the peace-loving colonists of L5. I get that you're peace-loving, and you can be peace-loving all you want, but if you know these super-ferocious uh, megalite ships are on their way, I think you need to have some defense around you. Just saying. It will take every ounce of skill and cunning at your disposal to blast the evil ones out of orbit. Now, I will pause here and go check on my dog. One moment. Alright, it's all good. As you know, I've been conducting an ongoing experiment of not locking up my dog in her crate while I leave the room to uh, record this podcast. And so far, it's going pretty well. Just don't tell my wife. So we're using the paddle controllers for this one, as I mentioned before. There are three difficulty levels. Slow, to, uh, to play at the slow level, left difficulty switch at B, right difficulty switch also at B. The moderate level has you putting the left difficulty switch at A, right switch still at B. The fast level has left difficulty switch at B, right difficulty switch at A. Score points for every warrior ship you hit. The farther away the ship, the more points you receive. You'll also score 10 points for each death ship you destroy. They advise that you keep the fire button on your paddle controller depressed because it locks the antimatter launcher in one spot and sends antimatter packets continuously toward the antimatter anti, toward the aiming cursor. And this is where the game gets weird. Using the control knob on your controller, position the aiming cursor, so that, which is at the top of the screen. Your ship is at the bottom of the screen. And you, so you position the aiming cursor so that the invading ships fall into the line of fire of your antimatter packets. By releasing the fire control button, the antimatter launcher momentarily disappears and immediately changes to a new position directly under the aiming cursor. Begin firing immediately. You begin each game with four antimatter launchers. Each time you're hit, or if a death ship reaches the colony floor, you lose one launcher. As each red death ship plunges toward L5, an early warning radar system will sound a special alarm to signal its approach. A special feature of encounter at L5, trademark, that will help you rack up an astronomical score. When you hear that signal, position your aiming cursor so that the death ship will cross your launcher's line of fire. There are 26 game variations of L5. Holy crap. For each accumulated score of 800 points, the game will automatically advance to the next level. As you progress to each level, megalite ships will appear with varying frequency, but will increase the speed of their descent. They will also have a wider evasive range, making them harder to hit. Space Raid! Exclamation point. You must destroy the attacking megalite warrior ships before they get you. At the same time, you must be on the lookout for the large red death ships that will periodically dive toward the surf surface of L5, trying to knock the power out of your antimatter launchers. And then we find out 
that all data age video games carry a limited one year warranty. Let's see, this came out in 82. I wonder if the warranty has expired. Let's do math. Uh, yep, it's been more than one year. Alright, look for other data age video games wherever video game cartridges are sold. If you can't find our games in your area, drop us a line and we'll send you a list of stores near you. Alright, Dear Data Age, it is 2018. I am looking for more data age games. I cannot find any in my local stores. Thank you. Alright, here comes the list. I will be inundated with data age games anytime now. 8-Bit Central says, I hadn't seen this little gem in my 80s Atari games. It takes the bottom shooter, similar to Space Invaders, and adds a new, nice twist that makes it more unique. For one, it uses the paddle controllers with a unique scenario for aiming and shooting enemies. It has a nice fast pace and takes a little bit of time to master. Visually, one might liken it to Demon Attack and Space Invaders as a mashup. That's what I was trying to think of. I think in my field report I talked about, you know, I, I make reference to Space Invaders. Uh, I was trying to figure out what it's... You know, that it, what it's more like. Space Invaders plus something. Demon Attack is a good choice. You're able to move your ship as well as aim, so this definitely isn't your standard shooter. Paddle controller seems very sensitive, but I'm sure that one will that one will adjust to it with more gameplay. The two-player game has 26 game options. Odd game numbers are single, even uh, numbers are two-player. The control scheme sounds harder than it really is. You get used to it quite fast. The real challenge comes when you release the button and your ship jumps to the cursor's position, start firing immediately. Okay, I don't think the control scheme is necessarily hard, I just find it awkward. Uh, I think I mentioned this in the field report too. I keep looking at my ship when I want to fire instead of looking at the aiming cursor. And it's bugging me, because I'm looking at the ship, why aren't you moving right now? And I, I, I don't like it. It feels awkward. 8-Bit Central, however, says part of the fun is the fast pace. I do agree with that. The fast pace is cool. It goes so fast you may not even know that you've been hit. There isn't much of an indicator. Uh, I agree with that. So I, I've been playing this and suddenly I'm out of guys. I dig this game. 8-Bit Central says give it a play and get those paddle controllers going. VideoGameCritic.com said they really they give it a C-. minus. They really like Encounter at L5's brand of non-stop rap rapid-fire shoot-like-a-madman gameplay. Uh, the paddle control scheme is unlike anything I've ever seen. However, Encounter's collision detection could be better, as the bulk of your shots seem to pass right through their intended targets. The games tend to be hectic and short. The action doesn't pause when you lose a ship, and it's not obvious when it happens, so you may not even know you've been hit. Another thing I hate about Encounter at L5 is its irritating, repetitive sound effects, which force me to turn down the audio. It's far from great, but shooter fans looking for something different might find it interesting. Alright, well, after the break, encounters at L's 1 through 4 are for suckers. For you, we've got an encounter at L5. You're welcome. So then I says to her, I says, yeah, we still have encounters, and they're at L5 and everything, but they're not, they're not close encounters of the third kind, like the Johnsons have. <sighs> oh well, roll the thing. This game starts off, boom, wow, we're playing already. Um... 
pretty intense looking. You got, from the jump, you got wave after wave of ships bearing down on you, firing as they come. But I find the aiming cursor a little off-putting. I keep looking at my ship thinking, why aren't you moving, you stupid ship? And then, of course, I realize, well, I gotta move the cursor thing at the top of the screen. I don't get it. I'm not sure what they're going for, and I'm already blowed up. Blowed is a word. Look it up. No, don't do that. That's dumb. It's not really a word. Uh, that went too, way too fast. I'm gonna try this again. I am playing on the moderate setting, which apparently, while you're doing a podcast, is still way too difficult, because I'm already dead again. What the heck? Alright, I'm gonna put this on the slow setting. I got more to say. Oh, be quiet. B and B. There we go. There we go. Um, the ships look good. They look like spaceships. I guess that's what you want. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like this aiming cursor thing. And I don't like that my ship doesn't move. It's very off-putting. And confusing and distracting. And that's why I get blowed up all the time. Um, the sounds are fine. Early 80s space adventure. Um, there is some sort of um, psychological thrill to blowing up all these ships. I'll give them that. Um, there's not much more to it, though. It's really repetitive, really fast. Um, and not in a good way, like Space Invaders. And I'm blowed up again. Um, alright, well, that's probably all I got to say. Some reason, well, well, here. When the game ends, you don't entirely know that it has ended. Uh, because the ships are still shooting at you, and coming at you in waves, and your aiming cursor is still moving. But now your ship is moving too. And you can't fire. So I guess that's how you know it's the end of the game. Um, you know, I'm a bit frustrated. Uh, I think I'll take a break and uh, go pet my dog. Back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about Encounter at L5. I agree with everything that I said in the field report. I agree with me, and I agree with those reviews, although I wouldn't be as glowing as they were. I think the game is kind of big and... not big. Fast and noisy, and a lot of stuff happens, even at the same time as not much is happening at all, if that makes any sense. I don't like that you don't even know when you've been hit, really. I actually don't like the aiming cursor. I would prefer to be able to move my ship as I want to move it and shoot from my ship. It just feels kind of hit and miss, literally, with firing this way. I find it awkward and annoying. I think it looks okay. I like the waves and waves of ships. That's all cool. I just find playing it sort of annoying and headache-inducing, honestly. Alright, before we get into this week's story, let's do a little science corner. How does the spine, as in a person's spine, work? You're probably saying, what the hell are you talking about? But it will make sense soon. The spine is made of 33 individual bones stacked on top of one another. The spinal column provides the main support for your body, allowing you to stand upright, bend and twist, while protecting the spinal cord from injury. Strong muscles and bones, flexible tendons and ligaments, and sensitive nerves contribute to a healthy spine. Yet any of these structures affected by strain, injury, or disease can cause pain. When viewed from the side, an adult spine has a natural S-shaped curve. 
The neck, cervical, and low back, lumbar regions have a slight concave curve, and the thoracic and sacral regions have a gentle curve, have a gentle convex curve. The curve works like a coiled spring to absorb shock, maintain balance, and allow range of motion throughout the spinal column. The main function of the lumbar or low back spine is to bear the weight of the body. The five lumbar vertebrae are numbered L1 to L5. These vertebrae are much larger in size to absorb the stress of lifting and carrying heavy objects. Alright, with that background, let's get into this week's story. Dr. Gwendolyn Dare strode purposefully through the halls of Encounter General Hospital. Coffee cup reading, a positive doctor 120 over 80% of the time, in one hand, and a spleen in the other hand. She'd removed a lot of stuff from a lot of people today. It was easy to lose track of which organ went to which person. Oh well, she'd find a nurse to take care of this. A scruffy-looking surgical resident approaches with a box of bones and a panicked look on his face. Doctor, these parts were left over after the Fleischmann hernia surgery. What do I do? Dr. Dare glances casually into the box. The leg bone is connected to the knee bone. The resident is stunned. My God, you're right. He scampers off. Over the hospital comm system comes the message. Paging Dr. Dare. Dr. Dare, you're needed in operating theater three. Dare throws the spleen onto the veggie plate of a passing nurse. Carter, she says. Make sure she gets that back. Dare strides purposefully, looking over her shoulder occasionally, first to see where that purposeful striding music was coming from, second to see the wake of awesomeness she left behind her. As she approaches the operating theater, a turbulent sea of anxious doctors and nurses parts to let her pass. What's the situation? she asks. A cacophony of voices tries to answer all at once. The one thing Dare could make out chilled her like the cold steel of a scalpel and cut the air just as sharply. Megalite. The L4 and L5 are the two lowest vertebrae on the lumbar or lower back spine. This is common knowledge. And it's also known that this area is prone to injury and degenerative, degenerative change. What's less known is that the L5 is also prone to attack. Out of my way, Dr. Dare orders. Dare approaches the patient, one Wesley Wright, age 42, victim of bad genetics. His lower spine has been degenerating for years, not at all aided by a salsa dancing habit. The depth of his love for which is rivaled only by the depth of how bad he is at it. So many scans of Wesley Wright's back have been done that he positively glows from the low-level radiation, but that isn't all that shows up on these scans. Antimatter, Dr. Deere mumbles. Dr. Deere is known in medical and academic circles as a genius, but her latest theories about the origins of lower back pain are being met with some skepticism. She studies the scans. Wesley writes lower back is awash with megalites, Dr. Deere's term for the neurons that short out nerves found there. No, not awash. More like under siege. As if the L5 is a lonely little colony out in space, under attack. But there's something else. Wesley Wright was a crappy salsa dancer and middle manager at a fast food restaurant, but he also possesses a genetic anomaly that left his spine swimming in antimatter. Most technicians overlook it when they scan a patient, but not Dr. Dare, who pioneered the science of detecting antimatter in the human body. She is super observant, except when it comes to cauliflower. She never saw cauliflower coming, usually to disastrous result. There was only one thing to do. Lance? 
Dr. Deer says, knowing by now that her faithful lab assistant, Lance, would have mysteriously appeared at her side. Bring me the key to the flexi-dimension suppository. Lance shudders at the idea of what that might be for. Um, he adds, you don't need a key. It's push-button. You just need to have the fob. The fob? Deer repeats. Yes, the fob. So I don't have to insert a key, but I still have to carry around a fob and keep it near the machine. Precisely. That's stupid. Wesley groans on the table, unable to sit still. As luck would have it, he isn't going to be sitting for very long. Dr. Deer climbs into the cockpit of the flexi-dimension suppository, her own invention. Prepare for miniaturization, she says. While I get that ready, Lance flip Mr. Wright over and remove his pants. Lance for a moment regrets his decision to pursue medicine instead of liberal arts. Once the machine is ready, Dare prepares the miniaturization and launch sequence. The flexi-dimension suppository shrinks to the size of a pea, with the doctor and Lance aboard. Then the ship does, well, what suppositories do. Wesley Wright wasn't a large man, so the journey from rectum to lower spine doesn't take very long. The megalites batter the flexi-dimension suppository like warships bombarding the enemy. Dr. Deer uses the ship's specimen scoop to collect the antimatter hovering around Wesley Wright's spine, extraordinary as that sounds. She flings the antimatter bits at the megalites. The concussive boom, boom, boom of the megalites bears down deep through the dark passages to Deer's soul and warms it in a way that she hasn't known since Barry at medical school. But that was a story for another time. Once the L5 area is clear, the flexi-dimension suppository exits the way it came in. Lance, the lab tech, resigns the next day. Wesley Wright was salsa dancing within a couple weeks. And it turns out, Dr. Dare is pretty good at the hammerlock flip. That's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance, and also this week, the No Frill Salsa and Gustav Sting. You can find show notes for this episode and all my episodes at ataribytes.libson.com, along with some social media links and other stuff. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And of course, check out my occasional weirdness on Instagram. Atari Bytes is available on all the podcatchers. You know that already. Uh, there are even a few episodes on SoundCloud. Make sure to stretch thoroughly and lift with your knees the cover on iTunes and leave a review. Weighty, but not too weighty. Uh, you don't want to strain your back. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page if you're able. Thanks for doing that or by picking up Atari Bytes and go play some old games, t-shirts, 
at our Atari Bytes store, ab underscore pod underscore store on zazzle.com. And if you have time, check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Peanuts-related needs. New episodes of that drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Spring is upon us, and that means fishing season will be starting. So, to break in the new season, we're going to be playing Fishing Derby. Yep, we are. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.